Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 15th, and this is Finger Lakes Today, presented by DeSanto Propane. I'm Josh Durso. I'm Paul Russo. Coming up this morning, we have the latest headlines get your day started, a recap of last night's high school sports action, and an exclusive look at how school suspensions can impact special needs students. Uh, but first, we have to look at the forecast. Forgot the line there. Yeah. Uh, looking good out there, Paul. Uh, yeah. It's going to be an awesome day. It's already well into yeah. the 50s. Um, afternoon highs looking like it's going to be between 63 and 65. It might feel warmer in spots. So if you walk outside and it feels like a late spring day around 70 degrees with a breeze, just take it and run. Take it and run. It will be breezy. Um, nothing too serious or crazy, but the breeze will pick up through the day. Gusts between 30 and 35 this afternoon. Uh, Thursday afternoon showers, mostly cloudy. High of 56, but again, it's going to be a little rainy. Um, so not quite as good a day as we're going to see today. Everything changes on Friday. Uh, morning rain showers, then snow showers, temperatures falling. With a high around 36 and a low of 20. On Saturday, it's going to be mostly sunny with a high of 40, low 30. Sunday, more of the same. Mostly cloudy, warming back up. Mid-40s, 45, 46, lows and mid-30s. Next week, we just got this thing on repeat. It's going to be, you know, mid to upper 40s throughout and maybe touching 50 degrees a couple times love it just yeah just what we're used to now yeah. <laughs> all right for more information live radar and updated forecasts you can head over to fingerlakes1.com local weather center all right a family in uh, butler wayne county lost everything in a major structure fire on tuesday details of how the fire began were not immediately available however a gofundme was launched to help the family recover uh, so far it had raised around five thousand dollars as of a check this morning at 6 a.m we've got a link to that in our story on fingerlakes1.com staying in wayne county state police are investigating after a dead body was discovered in a barn along route 88 in arcadia property is owned by a rochester area resident who discovered the unidentified woman while checking the property property two days ago investigators say they don't believe foul play was involved but they are not ruling anything out and it is officially brush fire season uh, firefighters from wayne and seneca counties were called to an area of the new york state thruway entire for a brush fire callers stated they observed a fire approaching the thruway along a fence near the montezuma wildlife refuge Firefighters worked quickly to put it out, but the ground along the fence uh, was scarred from the flames. Important to remember as we transition here from winter into spring without snowpack or much rain, brush fires are more likely. So please use caution uh, when burning on private property. A landlord in Steuben County faces felony charges after the sheriff's office there investigated a tenant-landlord dispute. 55-year-old Scott Wilkins has been charged with a felony count of assault after resisting arrest and causing injury to a deputy attempting to place him under arrest. Investigators say the Bath landlord denied and withheld utilities to one of his tenants. By doing so, he violated an active court order. And finally, in Cayuga County, firefighters were dispatched to Shortcut Road for a tractor fire near a barn on Tuesday. Jordan and Cato Fire Departments responded to the scene. The tractor was a complete loss, as you can see from the photos, by Jerry Green and Green Gator News over in Cayuga County. Uh, but no injuries or damage to surrounding property were reported. On the other side of the break, we'll have an exclusive in-depth look at a program aimed at expanding services for children with disabilities. Don't go anywhere.
As the months turn colder, make sure you're able to be comfortable. Don't get left out in the cold this winter. Choose DeSanto Propane. Over 8 million households already heat with propane because a propane furnace can heat air up to 25 degrees warmer than electricity. Propane radiant heat can improve air quality in a home by cutting down on dust and allergens and more. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years, DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com for more info. D-I-S-A-N-T-O Propane.com or call toll-free at 1-800-752-4574 today. Oh, oh, oh. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. This is Rebecca Swift for Dr. Jeffrey Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry. Dr. Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. If you're looking for a dentist who offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff, Canandaigua Dentistry will go the extra smile for you. Committed to local veteran organizations as well as seniors in the Finger Lakes, Canandaigua Dentistry offers discounts for both, as well as an in-house dental membership program for those without insurance. The office is located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua, or you can give them a call at 585-394-5230. Visit CanandaiguaDentistry.com to learn more about the team and follow on Facebook and Instagram today. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Mass and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Rigney, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisrigney.com. All right, welcome back to Finger Lakes today. There's been so much debate around school suspensions in New York, but the Child Care Council says it's time for them to be eliminated completely for students with special needs. Yesterday, FO1 reporter Rebecca Swift caught up with Bethany Williams from the Child Care Council to talk about some new hires and what it means for the community. I'm the special needs services supervisor. So tell me a little bit about yourself, your job, what you do, and whether or not it is you like what you do and how you got into it. I love what I do. I work here, um, it's been about almost 15 years, um, and I primarily work with kids that have disabilities um, in childcare settings. Um, so if parents call us and they're looking for childcare, you know, I'm usually the one that takes that call, um, provides them with referrals to different programs that have openings in the area. And then um, once they're placed into childcare programs, if the teachers need any support, um, that's also another part of my role. Um, and this new project that we have is just an extension of uh, some of that work that I do. And so you work both with children with special needs and their parents. Correct, yep. So um, why is this something that you wanted to do? Um, because I just saw the impact of, you know, when the kids are suspended or expelled from childcare, 
it you know affects their social emotional development their ability to you know establish and maintain friendships and also um when they are asked to leave it impacts the parent's ability to work um so just kind of seeing this trend um it was happening in the city of rochester and across the nation um when we had the um, opportunity to apply for this grant um, we just felt like it was a perfect fit um, because it aligned with their mission and what um, we were seeing as a need in our area. And so um, before we get into that, that the, the new service that's available, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny, I was talking to my, my coworker, Sam, about this earlier today, but um, mm -hmm. we were talking about the concept of little traumas, right? Like little things that happen in your life that, mm -hmm. um, maybe you don't even recognize things that are traumatic, but they definitely are. And they kind of impact you and stay with you for your whole life. Um, and sometimes understanding that trauma is different for each person. And like, mm -hmm. it can be something really small that mm -hmm. is a trauma for someone. So that what you're saying kind of ties into the conversation that we were having is um, if you are a child um, and you are in a classroom setting and something happens where you act out or um, and then in turn you're kind of taking taken out of the classroom setting, I guess my first question would be, um, can that be traumatic for, for children? Absolutely. I would say so, um, because we know that behavior is communication. Um, so, you know, if a child is acting out, we know it's for a certain reason. Um, and when, you know, the teacher doesn't quite know what's going on, they may ask the child to leave. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when the child leaves, I had, you know, a previous situation where I was working with a child and unfortunately, you know, um, he was asked to go to a different placement and the mom had called and said that he wants to know why he can't go back and play with his friends. Um, so those kind of transitions, you know, are traumatic for young kids that, they might be in a setting with their kids for um, or their friends for a number of years. Um, and then when they're removed for various reasons, um, it can, you know, I bet it does stick with them and it is a traumatic experience. It really can be. And um, so before we move forward with the new um, initiative, new program, yeah. uh, can you tell me a little bit about where you work, what it is? Mm -hmm. Um, so we've been around, oh my gosh, over 40 years as a child care resource and referral agency. Um, so our core service really is the referral um, where parents call, you know, looking for child care. We have a team that reaches out to um, different licensed or registered child care programs in the area, um, provide those referrals to the parents. Um, and it's an ongoing process. So um, if they need you know, just different placements at different times, we're certainly available to support them in that way. In addition to that, um, we provide trainings. Um, providers are required to take um, a certain number of trainings every two years, which is their licensing period. Um, so we also do that as well and provide a lot of technical assistance. Um, we have our um, food program as well. And we also register and inspect um, family child care programs as well as school age child care programs. Is this a free is this a free mm -hmm. service? So if you're a mom with a child with special needs, you can just call and. Yes. Yep. Our referral service is free. Um, and like I said, they can use it as many times as they need. 
um, parents might move or switch jobs. Um, so we can help them, you know, whenever they need, you know, a different situation. So Bethany, how did you learn about how to essentially do your job? Like, how did, how do you know? I mean, this is, this is something that is probably challenging for parents to navigate for sure. But I mean, you being in the position, you probably get thrown a lot of questions that are probably very specific and even sometimes probably specific to New York State. So mm -hmm. how did you learn what you need to know to help? Because this can be a really difficult time for a parent. So um, how do you get, where do you get your information from mm -hmm. and how did you learn how to help during a challenging time? Yeah. So it's definitely a lot of community connections. Um, we, you know, try to connect with agencies that are doing, you know, different things, but also, you know, coming together for a common purpose. Um, we definitely do a lot of networking. Um, and my personal position, um, my background is in special ed, and I was a special education teacher in an inclusive classroom for a number of years. Um, so I had some of that, you know, background coming into this position. Um, and then really it's just based on, you know, the parent need. And we're just dedicated to ensuring that the parents um, find the proper resources so that, you know, the kids can be successful, the parents can work. Um, so I would say it's, you learn as you go. <laughs> um, you really just uh, talk to the families, figure out their needs. And that's just the core value that we have at the council is looking at the family as a whole and how we can support them. All right, so um, now that we know a little bit about like kind of what you do and how, mm -hmm. can you tell us about this? It looks like it's a new mm -hmm. service. Can you tell us what that service is? Yeah, so our special need consultation program, um, we received the funding a few months ago, which is great. Um, and like I said, it's kind of an extension of what I was doing um, with going in and helping the teachers, you know, learn different skills and strategies to work with the kids that had um, special needs. Um, but there was an increase of requests um, for uh, the number of teachers that needed some help um, in their classrooms. Um, so definitely COVID kind of just like shed a light on the need out there. Um, many kids were getting kicked out for a variety of reasons. Um, so that definitely impacted families' ability to work. Um, and once we noticed that need, we saw, um, started to look for different opportunities that would help us to navigate that. Um, so the process um, with applying for the grant, um, it just, like I said, the mission aligned with our goal um, to you know, reduce the suspensions and expulsions you know, with kids with special needs. Um, and it's a free service, you know, we do the training, we do a lot of modeling. Um, so the teachers might understand some of the basics of child development, obviously, um, but just kind of adjusting it and um, customizing it to the needs of the kids um, so that they can be successful. Um, and like I said, they can work with us for up to 12 weeks. And we also leave like a capacity. So if behaviors start to arise again, um, we certainly can go back out and uh, help the teachers at a later time as well. And so what are some of the strategies and support that mm -hmm. um, concepts or conversations that you have mm -hmm. with um, with parents and teachers? Like give us an example of what 
would be a strategy in dealing with a child who has special needs who may be acting out? Like what different approach could you take with a child that's in that situation? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we get a lot of calls for kids that have that are nonverbal or have limited um, communication abilities. Um, so we'll go in and you know look at the classroom environment, look at any potential you know triggers um, for that behavior, um, and then we just have reflective conversations you know with the teachers, and they'll let us know kind of what a goal is, um, and that I'm having trouble communicating with this child. So a strategy that we might suggest would be to implement a visual schedule um, and just kind of outline what is expected throughout the day. And then the kids can use that visual um, to, you know, follow the directions, have that established routine. And we would, you know, certainly go in and model that and um, show the teachers the importance of doing it, how to do it. And then we'd follow up with that reflective conversation um, and then see when the providers are comfortable. We don't just do it boom, 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 and then, you know, there's no extended support. We just show them, um, watch them use the intervention and see if it's something that they're comfortable with. And then if we need to change anything, we could do that as well. And another thing that we also do is providing um, different resources. So going along with the communication challenges, we could purchase certain electronics for the kids. Um, we had an opportunity to purchase iPads, um, a lot of different sensory things, large motor um, uh, items as well. Um, so all of that just ties together. Um, to You just okay. cut out for a minute there. You okay, said to, perfect. To, they all tie together to reduce? Uh, the suspensions and expulsions, because oftentimes um, there could be a financial barrier um, and, you know, the providers might not be able to afford some of those more expensive items. And with this grant, we're allowed to, um, or yeah, allows us to go in and fill that gap. And I mean, if you have, okay, so if you have a child in a classroom mm -hmm. who is special needs and say they're um, like acting out, which it could be like, it could look like so many different things, right? Like it could just be um, making noise. It could be getting up and running around. Um, I guess, what would your advice be in a situation where mm -hmm. um, behavior becomes an issue for the adult in the room? Like what would your recommendation be to number one, the parent um, mm -hmm. to have a follow-up question about whatever incidents are happening, and then your conversation with the teacher who kind of needs to act in more of an immediate sense to defuse the situation to sort of prevent it from escalating and then resulting in a bad situation or a suspension or something like that. Absolutely, um, that's a great question. So our approach is meant to be preventative. Um, so when parents call us and they're looking for a childcare program, and we collect all that information and we know that the child has a special need, we could go out, you know, with the parent to look at different childcare options. And we just encourage them, you know, just to be open and honest, look at the environment and just kind of think about, are there any triggers, you know, ahead of time? So that's one thing that we can um, offer and encourage parents to do. Um, we might get called in, a child might already be enrolled in the classroom and the teacher's noticing a lot of those challenging behaviors. 
Um, and so what we would do, it's like a phased approach. So we would go in, talk to the teachers, you know, discuss what they're seeing, do some observations, and then set some goals. Um, because it is a very individualized program. So some kids might need more visuals, some kids might be overstimulated based on sensory things in the environment. And then we can come up with a plan to reduce um, those behaviors based on the needs. So we try just to get in, you know, as soon as the parents call us, we know where the child's going um, before, you know, some of those behaviors might arise. And we also encourage um, a lot of training for the providers to take be a part of. It is something that we can offer as in-services where we'll go out and train the whole staff on different topics, certainly around like autism, ADHD, things like that, um, and just have them reflect on what they're seeing in their own classrooms and then set goals. And then we'll walk them through um, those goals to make sure that they're comfortable and capable to um, support the kids. Yeah, and um, in terms of, I guess my next question would be like, are there situations where, have you run into situations where um, parents maybe don't know that their child even has special needs? That was kind of the first part of that question and how would you approach that? And then the second part of that question would be, what is a, or what could be a trigger for a child with special needs? Like what's an example of, of a trigger? Yeah, so for our younger ones that aren't quite diagnosed yet, so up to three years old, we would have the parents go through the early intervention process. Um, and so we would connect them with um, that agency and then they would kind of take the lead in putting you know some supports in place um, with their service providers um, in addition to that if um, the parents are just kind of unsure a little bit if there are some possible special needs there we also um, do like a developmental assessment and we have you know something set to the parents and with the teacher and we just kind of come together and compare notes um, and looking for patterns in the behavior. So is it occurring when there's a lot of children in the classroom, it's too loud and they get overstimulated or, you know, transitions, you know, aren't smooth and they don't have warnings. So that could be a potential trigger as well for the behaviors. Um, so it can just be like the littlest things that, you know, a preschool teacher might not think of that we could go in and say, okay, you know, play music during transition, give the child a warning, um, and just kind of letting them know what's going to occur. And that just kind of reduces that anxiety and will reduce oftentimes the challenging behaviors. Oh, interesting. So like if, if you take away the shock value of a trigger, mm -hmm. it sometimes isn't a trigger or might not be a trigger. Yeah, especially with that limited communication um, so if something changes, they're not able to express their feelings, they could, you know, have a meltdown or something like that. Um, and a teacher, you know, maybe not with a special ed background might not understand why this child might be having a meltdown, but it could be because, you know, somebody took their toy or they don't like the food that's being served. Um, so it's really just being really intentional throughout the day um, that could turn a child's day around. And well, then... I mean, it's it's the examples that you gave. It just, I always, with these stories, I always say like, it's 
it's also could be triggering for an adult. If you take my exactly. toy away or you don't give me food that I want, like I exactly. might also, you steal something from someone if you're as an adult. So it's these same kind of triggers, you know, apply to adults oftentimes. Yeah. Absolutely. And we do, you know, get them thinking about that as well. And it's kind of like, well, how would you feel, you know, right. to you or you couldn't communicate, you know, how you're feeling. Um, and oftentimes, you know, we'll model it and they'll, you know, carry out, you know, that goal. And they're like, oh, you know, I don't need as much support or resources as I thought, you know, it's right. just that guidance and modeling and, and that follow up. My, like in the loud noises, it just, it's helping me understand a lot. Um, it's such a simple concept, but like if you are given a heads up, like again, as an adult, that there's going to be a fire drill, mm -hmm. if you're, if you have PTSD or something, and then you, you hear this loud noise, but you know, it's coming, it's completely different than if it catches you off guard. So, um, and that's the other important piece too, um, in terms of safety, that we want to get them thinking about all those potential triggers with the loud noises. Because I know personally, when I was a teacher, I didn't know, you know, a trigger for one of my kids was, you know, the sirens going by and that she would try to escape. Um, oh. It wasn't until, you know, we had a conversation with the teachers and the parents and kind of um, getting that out, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I had learned that. So we do take our own personal experiences as teachers um, into the reflective conversations that we have with them. Yeah, it's, it seems like a, a lot of this is also about being mindful and kind of just polite, like, you know, thinking about, you know, you have a classroom, it's it's tough if you're a teacher, of course, you've got right. a lot of kids that you have, um, that you have to manage, which is not easy. I don't know if mm -hmm. I could do it, but um, mm -hmm. it's also, it's nice to think about each child as being an individual, right? Mm -hmm. And like, trying to at least be mindful of the fact that every child is different and everybody has different things going on in their heads and different situations that they have going on behind closed doors that nobody really might know about. Correct. Um, how is this service that I'm that we're talking about today, this mm -hmm. new, it's a con consult kind of basic. Mm -hmm. Is this, it, how is this different from what you do? Like, how have you, is it, has it gotten bigger? Is it, has it expanded or what? Do you have more Bethany's? Like, you know, cause you do, what you do is very specific. So do you? Um, I do, I, um, we actually just hired two new special needs consultants and okay. it, it expands our reach. Um, there you so go. We have a team now and we can spend um, more time in programs because with one person I only do so much with so many hours in the week. So now, right. with, you know, two more people we can reach definitely more programs so, so it's expanding a little bit you've got more help in the department correct correct um do you have any statistics that you could share that might be helpful i mean i think i see like do we know it says that there was a 2018 article by the center for american mm -hmm. progress children mm -hmm. with disabilities in early childhood settings represent 13 about 13 percent but 13 percent yep count for like the vast majority of suspensions like from thir they're 13 percent part of the population but they're make up 75 percent of the total oh, amounts of yeah. suspensions that happen i mean correct so it's you know when we use other studies um from walter gilliam did a study and showed that um kids with special needs were expelled at three times the rate 
um, than their peers in the classroom. And it was even higher for kids that were black and brown as well. Um, and then just seeing those similarities that overlapped in our own agency, um, we know that this was a trend, you know, that we don't want to see, but unfortunately it is happening. Um, and like the families that we worked with in the past, you know, we reached out and over a hundred of them had experienced um, this, unfortunately, where their kids were asked to leave. Yeah. And um I'm actually just looking at this really quick. So I think I have a really good understanding of it now. Um, in terms of contact information, mm -hmm. you we can add your email, uh, b.williams at childcarecouncil.com. Mm -hmm. We have a number that people can call. Correct. Um, so this is in Monroe, Wayne, and Livingston? Correct. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I guess, I mean, you, you really answered all my questions, whatever piqued my curiosity. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't or anything else that you want to add about either the topic in general or the program or anything like that? Um, no, I think we covered everything. Um, and like I said, hopefully next year we'll have more consultants and we can, you know, expand to different counties. Um, I know we'll do what we can with the three of us, but definitely our goal is to expand um, our reach and how many families we can serve. So that is our one of our goals. All right, thank you to Rebecca and Bethany for that. When we come back, we'll be taking a look at the loaded high school hoop scene from last night, and we'll be embracing some debate as we take a look at the coaching legacy of Andy Reid. We'll be right back. the difference has been DeSanto Propane. That's 80 years that DeSanto Propane has been servicing the community. DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, which is why everyone recommends DeSanto Propane. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years DeSanto Propane has been heating the community with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com or call toll-free 1-800-752-4575. And like DeSanto Propane on Facebook for more tips and info today. DeSanto is celebrating 80 years, and there's never been a better time to switch to propane to fuel your entire house. Oh, 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 DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. Canandaigua Dentistry offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff. A proud supporter of local veteran organizations, Canandaigua Dentistry offers veteran and senior discounts, as well as an in-house dental membership program for people without insurance. Dr. Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry is committed to providing you with personal, professional care. 
Whether you are searching for a family dentist or a cosmetic dentist, the Canandaigua Dentistry team promises to go the extra smile for you. Stop by the office located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or call 585-394-5230 to talk with the team today. Visit www.canandaiguadentistry.com to learn more and find them on Facebook and Instagram too. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Cicino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Cicino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisricky.com. All right, welcome back to Finger Lakes today. Josh Durso and Paul Russo here. Plus, we are joined in studio by Kyle Evans and Jim Sinecropi for sports. Uh, Paul, a busy night last night on high school hoops scene. Yeah, loaded, loaded slate. Uh, mainly focusing on the Finger Lakes East boys side of things. We'll start uh, when uh, with Wayne went down to Newark, uh, down to Rose City on Valentine's Day. But the Reds come out victorious, sixty to fifty three. Captured a solo crown for the Finger Lakes East. Ken Wangenberg had nineteen for Wayne. Kellen Foster twenty five, including six threes for the Newark Reds. How about that? One of the names that uh, we don't normally talk about with Newark. All right, but one of the key kind of role guys and big, big night for Kellen. Yeah, it was nice to see him, somebody get points from somewhere else. Um, they're going to need that going forward. But a couple things about that game. Wayne's head coach, Bill Thompson, was not there. COVID. Um, I don't know if that would make a difference in a seven-point game. But uh, Cam Blankenberg, freshman, mm-hmm. the next big thing. Oh, yeah. He might be the best I don't want to make any bold predictions, Kyle. I usually leave that to you, but Cam Blankenberg may be the best player we've seen in the last 10 years by the time he's done. That's my Whoa. bold prediction. Whoa. So um, I don't know how they're going to do in A2 sectionals this year. It'll be tough, but uh, the future is bright for Wayne. Hope Coach Thompson's feeling okay. And um, and a big win for Newark. They clinched the Finger Lakes East title. Yeah. And, you know, a key part in this as well, right? A couple extra sectional points in the old bank there. Because obviously playing a school above them class wise, that's always a so. that's always a thing that hurts Wayne and sometimes Geneva and helps the rest of the league. It's an opportunity to to get those, but it's kind of balanced out because Whitman's now in the East and they're a C's team. So Whitman's the team that really gets a chance mm-hmm. to get some sectional points all season long. Uh, but end of the day, it usually stuff evens out. If you're good enough, you're good enough. You're going to get a home game or two, be a high seed. And um, I think I think Newark's going to enter as the one seed. Is that? We'll have to I'm check. Say it'll probably be like two at the lowest. They were last night before the game. Uh, I know yeah, that. yeah. I think uh, Carney was one. Batavia was in the contention. Palmac um, was, I think, four. So it's going to be a great B one tournament. Kyle, watch your game last night in Palmyra. Was a bit of a snoozer, um, but uh, good. That's to Nate see. over there producing. That is definitely oh, Nate, Nate sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, Whitman, uh, Whitman set for Class C1 sectionals, and Palmac uh, may, I don't know about you guys, but 
Pelmack may have set some sort of statistical record this year for the best defensive team in the history of the Finger Lakes East. I don't remember many games where they gave up more than, you know, 40 points. No, they – and it's weird because um, they kind of have ran – I mean, it was mainly like a 3-2, but the one game I remember going up and doing, I think it was – Wasi was that Newark game that they had. And, I mean, they came out in a – started out in 3-2 half court, but then they went to this, like – I wouldn't call like a one-three-one full court zone, but it was like a two-two-one full court zone, and it was just ravenous. Like they just go out there; it's defense first, and that you know leads to I, I think the offense that we've seen from them really this year. You know, turn and burn. I mentioned that game right, forty-three fifty-six. Uh, Paul Mac victorious over Marcus Whitman. Uh, Ian Goodness at twenty-five again. I mean, 23 in the first half, right, Nate? Someone. Yeah, right? 23 in the first half. He was incredible offensively. Uh, we had him in the interview after the game. And I just asked him kind of how it feels when, when you get out there and just every shot's falling. And he just reiterated that he wants to be the one in, with the ball in his hands when he's feeling it like that. And it was pretty fun to watch Ian Goodness just put on a show last night in Paul Mack, in that, especially in that first half. And he he really didn't do as much shooting up. in the second half. He didn't really need to. And loaded up on some uh, Chichino's pizza gift certificates, Yeah, we gave too. him three. <laughs> Got all three of them from the season-long uh, season He does like pineapple on his pizza, so that was interesting. Which and, is and good. I think Paul will like to hear that. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy that I'm. Look, we're we're a few we're a few group, but you know that's a different discussion. One, one other game in the Finger Lakes East last night that was fun to watch was Minders Penyan. It was a close game down to the stretch, and um, those are two teams that are in Class B two. That I think looking at the sectional standings, they might play each other again in the first round. Mm-hmm. And I think last night was for home court. court, and so a big win for Minders and first league win. Yeah, their first league win on the last night of the regular season. Um, So they've obviously struggled, but they're going to be in a different class for sectionals. I still think they're a long shot, but they learned to win a game last night. Uh, Jaden Ryko with a big offensive rebound late and then knocked down two free throws. Um, Nico Franzone with a big block in the corner, block shot when uh, um, Penyan took a three to tie. He blocked it got fouled, knocked down the game clinching free throw. So that's how you win games. I've seen we've seen Minders lose some close games to Whitman and some other schools this year, but they were able to pull it out only the fourth win of the season, but um a glimmer of hope now for the postseason. So who who um out of the Finger Lakes East Kyle will you make a bold prediction will be in a sectional final? Um my pick right now is Newark. I think Newark's playing their best basketball I think they can beat anyone, especially when all the guys are contributing, like last night, Kellen Foster. He's just a junior, too. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that'll be. Um, Braden Steve, you know, I think he had like 13, but he still played well. If he, you know, has a big game, like they just have so many scoring threats that I think they're the team to beat, and they have size. Yeah, you didn't even mention Rayshon Howard. Yep. Probably the best player on the team. Um, or, you know, it's arguable, but, you know, I thought last night Braden Steve did a lot of things other than hang out by the three-point line, too, and I yep. think that um, helps them uh, when he's a little more involved on the boards and, um, you know, inside the arc. Yeah, he went to the rim, did, like, a reverse layup. He wasn't just, you know, camping out at the three-point line. Yeah, I agree. Um, Newark, Palmac is going to be a lot of fun to watch. The one team I think that's on the outs is Geneva. We had kind of high hopes for them. Um, they really struggled towards the end of the season. Back-to-back nights, too. They got three-point wins. Struggled. Yeah. Yeah, won against Minders, who yeah. then got a three-point win or a four-point win against uh, Penyan. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a good night last night. I had uh, I had th- two or three games up on uh, 
my monitor and I had the Syracuse NC State game up on my TV. Yeah, we'll touch on Syracuse in a minute. Do I make note? Uh, pretty interesting, Nate. Uh, in the interview with Ian Goodness, mentioned a scrimmage this week against the Lions. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I yeah, want let's to go a, cover it. I want to be a fly <laughs> on the wall for that one. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm guessing it'll be a closed gym. Speaking of uh, Lions, it was all your side on the girls' side, but Lions come away victorious over North Rose Wilcott and secure the top seed in C2 for girls in sectionals with that win. So Didn't win the tough. league, but got the top seed in sectionals. That's yeah. always nice, too, for the league. Yep. And then uh, tonight, the main focus is the girls' side of things, specifically the Finger Lakes East. Midlakes at Palmac, Waterloo at Geneva coming down for either a shared Finger Lakes East title between Waterloo and Palmac, or maybe one of them gets it solo outright. Yeah, it's very similar to last night in the yeah. boys' side. Um, Waterloo's going to beat Geneva, obviously. That's yeah. 100% chance. Yeah. Um, but Midlakes could beat Palmac, in which case Waterloo would be the outright champs. Palmac wins. They get a chance to share that title, which uh, Waterloo's had a lock on the past few years. And honestly, heading into this year, thought they had a lock on it again. So that would be a huge uh, notch in the cap for uh, Dan Harris's group in Palmac. Mm -hmm. All right, Jim, you mentioned it. Syracuse, 75-72 win over NC State. Third straight win. Jesse Edwards double-double with 18 and 16. Also attempted his first ever three-pointer and made it. Uh, Joe Girard had 14. Bell had 11. Brown, 10. So big night for some key guys. Not Benny Um, Williams. No, no. (laughs) But um, certainly... um, end up being as i called it it's just like this team like where where was some of this the rest of the year but um i don't know i think last night's game was like a lot of games this year where they're in it and then with about two minutes left in the game when they're either up a couple or down a couple they just fold and i felt like that was going to happen last night too as i was watching it they were up four or five points about the um two two and a half minute mark and um gave it back and ended up pulling it out what do you think? Uh, what do you think? In your opinion, Kevin Keats and Bayheim were talking about there at the end. I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? I don't know. I mean, they were weren't they smiling a little bit, kind of laughing at each other? Yeah, I couldn't tell what Keats was exactly looking like. But it started uh, out, I thought that it was like a serious thing, and then Bayheim was laughing, and then they started patting each other on the chest. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think, um, I. I I don't think there was anything um, kind of uh, to worry about there. Yeah, they didn't need to be held back or anything. No, and then, like I said, they were both smiling and patting each other. But uh, I don't know. I personally think that it had something to do with the calls, maybe. Um, NC, you know, the, the NC State center that fouled down on that charge call, which in my opinion was a good call. But uh, that certainly kind of locked it in for Syracuse. I thought that, you know, that if he doesn't follow out, maybe that's another one we drop in the vein of North Carolina, Virginia, or Pitt. Hope the, increasing? Do we are well, do, do the Syracuse fans here have a little more, a little like maybe a small glimmer of Glimmer. Hope? Glimmer? Just a little bit? That's what's your, what's your percentage at? If you're putting it at a percentage, what's your percentage at? Well, I w- would look at first, you know, with the schedule ahead of us, do we have a opportunity if we won them all, I mean, obviously win the ACC tournament you're in, but let's say, you know, win the remaining regular season games and then win two games in the ACC tournament. Would that be enough? Jeez, I think it would put us on the bubble, but can we do that? That's um, 
hard to think that we could win out based on what I've seen yeah, this I mean, year. So I put the percentage at about fifteen, ten to fifteen percent. Yeah, there's bound to be what I what what I enjoy calling. I think what a lot of us Syracuse fans enjoy calling the typical Syracuse loss kind of somewhere laying. Yeah, get down by fifteen yeah. twenty in the first five minutes, then struggle back and right. almost win, but then yeah. lose. Yeah, so. Uh, home Saturday against Pitt, 6 p.m. tip. That's the big one. And that's on ESPN for Duke. those who aren't going to be Pitt. there. Duke. Yep, Duke. That's why Duke, I said Duke. Duke is first. You, you said, said Pitt. Pitt. I said Pitt. Oh, I inadvertently said Pitt. I apologize. I mean, it's funny. Duke would be the game that we should win. Um, Pitt's the game that I think would be harder to win that we need need to win. Need to win them all, obviously. Well, yeah. Yeah. But if I had to pick one of the two, I would think the Duke will be the easier win. Does, yeah. does one more loss just end it? Completely yeah. and absolutely, fully. unless yeah. they win the no ACC more tournament. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, they got ten losses now, right? Where are they? Sixteen and ten now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and you're in the middle of a very down ACC this year. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. Syracuse hasn't beaten a ranked team in two years until last night, yeah. but they don't get many opportunities to in that crap league. Yeah. Ouch. Tough. I'm friend. You mentioned you're watching some Big East games last night, right? Now yeah. there's a league. Love the Big East. Yeah, I St. John's and DePaul last night, double overtime. Syracuse, <laughs> Syracuse built that league. Now we're in a Southern Conference. Yeah, yeah. I've been a big, I've been in a big Big East kick lately. Requiem for a Big East was on the other night, and it's just you know, kind of all snowballs. Providence was in another good game last night. You know, shake it up. <laughs> My, I miss, I miss the Big East. <laughs> At Me the end too. of the day, more than you East. could know. Yeah, more than you could know. Sad. All right, locally here, a bit of a name that you know we're, we've been used to on the, I say at least for us growing up. I front, hate frontier so much. Frontier Field, no more officially as of yesterday. Innovative Field signage was up, so it's official. The yeah. signage is up. We're being, uh, I don't even want to call it like taunted. We're being, <laughs> we're being told that there's going to be improvements now because yeah. of this change. So. Um, the former Frontier Field, Innovative Field, will hopefully be getting some upgrades in the next year thanks to mm. this new multi-year uh, agreement. Um, for me, my biggest gripe with this, I just wish they called it Innovation Field. I know the company is called Innovative. Yeah. I just call it Innovation Field. Innovative Field, it just doesn't flow. It just doesn't flow. Uh, give it a few years. Huge... It'll roll off the tongue. JMA Wireless be... Dome. I was going to say, yeah, it's another really I was going to say, speaking. JMA Darlis don't kind of works. I kind of like it. I like Carrier, but whatever. I mean, in the same vein, <laughs> though, you mentioned that Frontier Field. I know a lot of people were still calling it Silver Stadium, even though Silver Stadium was right, yeah. blocks away from where Frontier Field, or well, now Innovative Field is. I mean, what are I the. Did they in, give any insight into what the improvements are going to be they're going to be tech driven so yeah yeah they're going to be tech driven they're going to make it feel a lot of a lot of it actually stems from the recent collective bargaining between the mlb and the players union uh a lot of the not a lot let me rephrase there are certain things going on right now uh mainly underneath the concourse for the clubhouses um bigger batting cages better amenities for the players and staffs uh better health and trading stuff for the teams so that portion of it's going to be done this year. I think there's a lot of stuff. I think on the concourse-wise, it's going to be in the next couple of years that we'll see kind of drawn yeah. out that uh, that's not so much Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball driving that. That's more the team kind of driving that. Uh, but a lot of a lot of this stuff is really driven from this most recent player agreement and bargaining agreement between the union and the league up top. 
It's where they're testing all of their all their new rules, so they mm-hmm. might as well be putting a little bit more money into right. it. Um, I mean, I mean, look, it, what is now Innovative Field? I mean, it's one of the it, to me one of the better ballparks anyway in AAA baseball, at least the International League here on the East Coast. So, um, but that being said, I think it's also more like one of the older ones technically now. It's kind of wild yeah, to think built about. Built in ninety, built between ninety seven and ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but still, when we think about. Uh, places to go watch a a professional game mm-hmm. in Rochester Frontier Innovative Field um, is the winner far mm-hmm. and away. The Blue Cross Love is it. absolutely abysmal. To you know, we've been to what a half dozen yeah. Amherst games now this season, and I'm sorry, but the Blue Cross needs so many improvements. It's like it's almost it uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's just it like the bad. Key Bank Center in Buffalo, you know, they got to make improvements there too. Yes, so they got sure. a lot of work to do. Mm. I think and that's a little bit of being in the box, though, as well. You're stuck in the confine, I think. Uh, same owner. Yeah, that's true. The Pagulas, right? Yep, they so. own all the teams, so and they got a lot of work to do. And then they're trying to get this new stadium still together uh. for the Bills. So, I don't know. I think it's going to take a while before they like make any improvements. The Bills stadium is their number one priority, yep. I think, right? So that's I don't why I don't think, think they'll pay attention to the yeah. renovations for a while. The, the terrible thing is, and I've made this comment every time we've gone up there, is like, the upgrades that are needed in the Blue Cross, and I don't know about uh, about out in Buffalo for the Sabers, but they're relatively minor. Like yeah. it's not it's not that it's a bad environment to for anything other than just the the experience of people sitting in the stands. It's bad. It's really bad. That's just you know. I understand there's probably capacity. They're probably trying to make sure right. they're at a certain number for capacity, but and you've got to find a way to spread the seats out better so and that I can't, it is and I can't speak more to, comfortable. And I can't speak to Buffalo's end, but I do know, I mean, the county does have, Monroe County does have a little bit of play with Blue Cross Arena, right, because it, it is the War Memorial. So yep. I think it's a lot like what Syracuse has to deal with with uh, what's now what, the On Center, I Listen, believe. Listen, if the billionaire Pagulas no, I, said, I don't disagree. hey, I don't disagree, we want to yeah. throw a bunch of money into this into this arena that you're hosting events in year-round, no one from Monroe County is going to say, eh, I don't know I, about that. I don't disagree. I don't know. Yeah, I don't th- like I said, I don't think the Pagulas are too interested in the Blue Cross Arena yeah. right now. But I also was kind of frustrated that the Bills need, would need to build a new stadium. I mean, everybody wants new new stadiums, but I don't know. Stadium seems fine to me. Bills fans seem to be pretty pleased with it. Attendance doesn't look too uh, bad. Yeah, it's right. definitely going to be a different feel, though. Like, it's just this is a classic older stadium. It's kind of outdated. And I think the newer one, yeah, it's going to be nice. But Bills fans are used to going to this stadium and, you know, where it was. It just, Blue it's going to be different. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be a little different. All right. Time to shift gears into the topic that I wanted to, mm. I've wanted to talk about since Sunday. Yeah. Um, is there now an argument to be made for Andy Reid being called the best coach in NFL history over God, Bill no, Belichick? No way. No way. All right. Let's he, hear it. Why? Yeah. Why? Give us the reasons. Because um, I've, I've got number of Super Bowls. Number one. Okay. Yeah, um, six to two. Yeah. So well, other than that, eight actually isn't it? Belichick <laughs> have two more. He's got a couple with the uh, Giants, too, I guess he was on the staff for. Well, well we're talking a head, head coach. As a, yeah, yeah, head coach. Um, that's the number one reason. But if you can think of guys off the top of your head that are that are automatically ahead of him, Belichick's obviously one. Um, Chuck Knoll's another. Um, Lombardi. Don Shula. Shula, undefeated team. Um, you know, you could maybe make an argument with Shula, but... Um, 
Oh, like who else? Who else would you think would Parcells probably? Um, but so I think I think he falls somewhere at the bottom of the top ten. But he could win another one or two or three in the next five years, and that would change the conversation. So, this is where I'm going to jump in, Paul. You can either chase me or you can swear me off. It doesn't matter. No, no. I think me and you are going to be. Three losing yeah. seasons since becoming a head coach yeah. in 99. 14 seasons with 11 or more wins. Led, led the Eagles to the playoffs nine times with five NFC Championship appearances. One Super Bowl appearance. Led, to the, led the Chiefs to the last five AFC Championship games. Had home field in all of them. Um, two Super Bowls. He's 64 years old. I understand that everybody loves to make the cheeseburger joke about him. Um, but I wouldn't Wild expect him. Over to, here. I wouldn't expect him to drop dead at any time in the next two or three years. He's at least going to be coaching for another five years, and at 64 years old with Patrick Mahomes, I think that there's at least, if we don't want to say best ever, I want to at least hear uh, people admit that unless Bill Belichick does something remarkable in the next two to four seasons, that he's better than Bill Belichick, because I don't really see how there's an argument otherwise. The only argument you can make is that he won more Super Bowls, which is fine, but he also had the greatest quarterback to ever. Like, the well, how would you think Reed? How many Super Bowls do you think um, Reed would have won without Mahomes? Or you know, he couldn't win him when he had McNabb. Got there once. McNabb got sick. I mean, Belichick threw up had, on the field. Remember that? Belichick hasn't even shown that he's able to get to a, a championship game. A, a, conference championship game without Tom Brady. Well, again, I don't even know if Reed has either, McNabb or or Mahomes. I did some research last night. Uh, something that I found interesting is if you look at their uh, Belichick's and uh, uh, Reed's coaching records, their winning percentage is almost, it's pretty close. It's almost identical. And I believe Belichick has coached for four more years. And Reed is the first NFL coach in history to win at least 10 playoff games with multiple teams. So I thought that was I think the multiple teams too. thing is a, is a big is a big notch in his cap for sure. But and he was he was sent away from Philadelphia after having what one bad season. And by the by <laughs> the way, yeah. never win the big one. one. And by, yeah, and by the way, was only unemployed for 5 weeks. Yeah, between stops. I right. mean, he's been coach he's been head coach since 1999. He's been in there longer than Belichick has. Belichick came in a year later from the Patriots. So here, here's where I'm going to tag along, Josh. I'm with you. I'm not. I'm very much so on your side with this. Andy Reid, fifth all time on the wins list. Now Bel- yeah. Belichick is third. I'm not going to sit here and deny that portion of it. But that being said, like you said, never he's been what under 500 three times, right? Three times. Yep. Okay. And to me, perhaps more importantly, in a way, he has a very successful coaching tree behind him. I'm just going to rattle off a few names: John Harbaugh. With the Ravens, Steve Spagnuolo, Ron Rivera, Doug Peterson, but you could Matt make, Nagy. Oh, could, and and Sean McDermott. You <laughs> could make names. You could coaching tree names. Uh, Parcells coaching tree would put that coaching tree to shame. Mm, would it though? Yeah, I mean Belichick's really the only one. No, there's others. I would have to pull out my. I, I can name off the top of my head, but uh, there's certainly others. He's just there. There, a lot of them are gone by now. Um, but I think that that is, and you know, maybe it's not the best ever. But I think, especially with the direction the NFL has gone, it's not going to go back to being a defensive, a defense first NFL before Reed is done. 
So say he's got another five years. Mm. It, he's, they're not going. That team isn't going anywhere. It's right in front of him. He could become like, the undisputed great at whatever, although it would be, again, tough to t- – he's not going to win six he's not, Super Yeah, he's Bowls. not going to get enough Super Bowls. But if way. he can win two more, um, then – but it, it's, it's hard to – make these comparisons because like Bill Ch- Belichick's great Andy Reid's great who's greater I don't know I mean how ca- is it it's not like they're squaring off in the ring to determine you know it's like uh, subjective I guess so they're both great coaches obviously it's interesting I guess because my my curiosity with it is just seeing how far the Patriots have fallen since Brady has not been with them like, there's been little glimmers here and there that maybe they're trying to get something together. But especially in the current AFC East, you know, I, I don't see where – I don't see a path forward. And uh, one thing to me too – That's coaching. One thing to me too about Henry that sticks out, he's been very consistent. And I don't want to be – but you bring up a point with Belichick. I think we – some people kind of forget, like, Don Shula, and I think a lot of it too, was he probably just overstayed his welcome like a lot of coaches – at many he levels, kind of some do. bad teams. Yeah, but I mean, he he did not have great years there at the end, and never won and, a Super Bowl with Marino. Right. I mean, and, and stuff like that. I mean, Landry was kind of, for example, Tom Landry, right? A name we haven't brought up. Kind of just, I wouldn't say unceremoniously ousted, but he didn't have great years there with Dallas in the mid, well, towards the end ish. I'll say. Um, you know, the guy like, say, Marty Schottenheimer, who's also, you know, I'm just looking at, like, the top ten win list, for example, right now. You know, Marty Schottenheimer, who could always get you there but never really get you over the hump, uh, you know. The other thing the other thing is, like, okay, so Andy Reid's now in the conversation for the greatest ever because he won the Super Bowl. I mean, a couple bounces the ball or dumb plays either way in the Cincinnati game and they're not even in the Super Bowl and then you know we're talking about that bad call uh in the, you know they don't make that call maybe they don't win the game so it's just a very fine line between winning or losing and you know you could probably go to some years where Andy Reid didn't win even when he was with the Eagles and see some bad luck that went against him so I mean I'll say it that's why I think the consistency, the 10 and 11 mm, plus yeah. um, win seasons combined with just being being there every single, almost every single, to be there as often as he has as a head coach in those AFC, NFC championship games. I think that's the, because yeah, this, the Super Bowl can often come down to, to a couple fluky kind of outcomes or calls or whatever the case may be. I mean, well, like I mean, the Falcons blowing a 28 to three lead and the Patriots got another ring. I mean, if they close that, that game yeah. out, they I was gonna say, they I mean, have five rings. They're undefeated yeah. Dolphins with Don Shula. They're a, a blocked field goal or blocked extra point away from not uh, not being undefeated the whole year. Andy Reid has put himself, found himself in good situations as well where not everybody's that fortunate to um, you know, run, run into a young Patrick Mahomes or to have uh, those Eagles teams were pretty good, whether it was Ricky Waters or Donovan McNabb or who else was on those teams. Um, I think at the end of he got the end of Randall Cunningham, didn't he? Yeah, he probably did. Eh, 
And Cunningham, where did Cunningham go? To, um, I know he was a Viking there. Yeah, half bef before he was an Eagle, he was a Viking, right or no? Yeah, well, either way, we're getting off on a tangent. Yeah. To me, the, the best argument, the best argument for Belichick coaching is the way he essentially was able to protect and make the most of Tom Brady in his yeah. early years. Yeah, when Tom Brady was not. Tom Brady. Right. I know, but again, look at that. Same argument can be used against Belichick. The tuck rule game, yeah. I mean, he got so lucky, you know? <laughs> Someone got so lucky in some of those games and, and coming back against the Falcons. What yeah. team can't close out, you know, a 28-3 to halftime lead in the Super Bowl? So those are there's two Super Bowls right there that just, you know, one little thing happens different and they don't, he doesn't win those. So that's why I think it's the greatest ever. It's subjective. Why does there have to be a greatest Before we ever? Go, one straight up answer for everybody. Head to head, Reed Belichick. Who are you taking? Well, who's their quarterback and what era? Right now I'm taking Reed, but uh like maybe like five years ago I'd probably take Bill. Five. She's I don't know. It depends. So if I it depends on what team I have. You know, give me show me my roster and then let me pick my coach and it would probably depend on the makeup of the roster. If it was more of a, a ball control um type of offense with a bit of a running game, I'd probably go with Belichick. If it was more of a West Coast uh run and gun with a young quarterback like Mahomes, I'd probably go with Reed. I think a coach like Belichick could stifle a guy like Mahomes. Um, not stifle might be the bad word, but he would probably be less willing to rely on Mahomes to make great plays himself and would more want to put him in positions where he wouldn't make mistakes and control the game. So I, I, I don't know. Do I, I like Andy Reid more than Belichick? I can't stand Belichick, you know. <laughs> but, um, but show me my roster first, and then I'll pick my coach. All right. Nate? Uh, for me, I was thinking about it a little bit more as you guys were talking. It's it's difficult to compare the two. You know, you have Belichick as a defensive coach, a defensive wizard, and then you have Andy Reid, who is an unbelievable play caller. So it's it's just on the offensive side. So it's it's difficult, but I would probably take Belichick in for two quick reasons. You know, the defense he has had is just incredible. And for the fall off after Tom Brady, it, there really hasn't been that much of a, like a fall off. Still a winning still team. A, playoff, a, a winning team. They made the playoffs last year. Just one short game short of the playoffs this year, so not a terrible play. It's not like they're at the, the depths of the league. And the other way is Jim, Bill Belichick's always been the GM, too. So you got to think about it that way. Bill Belichick is he does not having a lot of help uh, executively. He's doing this all himself. He's a better cheater. And, you know, that too. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's been able to kind of get his players in and, and buy into the, the Patriot way, right? You know, it's, it's, it's something that I think is really good systematically. Or as an organization, I think Bill Belichick's done a really amazing job uh, with New England over the years. Well, he won't win another Super Bowl. That's my prediction. I think Reed at least wins maybe one, maybe two. Maybe, but I don't think Bill two. ever wins. I don't think Bill ever wins another Super Bowl. Patriots were really crappy before Belichick came along, too. They were like a laughingstock type of Tony Eason quarterback type of team. Didn't Tony Eason lead them to the Super Bowl oh, one year? Yeah, the Against year that the they got killed the by the Bears. Yeah, the 85 Bears. Yeah, maybe I should have said Drew Bledsoe. <laughs> um, but while we're talking about coaches before we got out of here, is Sean McDermott going to ever be able to uh, – is he the answer in Buffalo, or do they do the Bills need to look to upgrade? I know. Will they ever get over the hump? That's yeah. a big question. I really don't know. I mean, it seems like, what, three years now and they've fallen short? I mean, I don't know what's going to change. 
Um, I don't know. Everyone thinks the Super Bowl's coming, but I really don't know. Like it's hard to changing, say. Changing your head coach isn't going to change the fact that right now what we saw out of Josh Allen this past season is not enough to get by the guy in Cincinnati or the guy out in Kansas City. Roster End moves need to be made. That's, that is a thing. I mean, I don't know why McDermott's taking the heat for – or why he would take the heat for something that's basically a personnel issue. Well, there is things he he does struggle with some things like clock management at times. He burns a lot of timeouts for no reason. There's little things in the game that he could probably be better in. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, wait a second. They just showed that they could go toe to toe with a better iteration of the Kansas City Chiefs two years ago. Yeah, I mean they literally went down to the the defense cost them that game. I mean, I I still say it again. They in the off season they got Von Miller. He was the final piece, key in the cog to make them a Super Bowl contender. And then they lost him, and they were never the same. And then, you know, their secondary was aging and battered and um, in terms of, like, Poyer and then Hamlin. And um, they – Micah Hyde was hurt for a while. In his defense, I guess the, some of these key pieces um, weren't there when he needed them at the end of the season. Uh, but – and they didn't have a legit uh, number two wide receiver. Gabe Davis really didn't live up to being a number two this year. He kind of struggled, dropped a lot of balls. And when Diggs wasn't getting involved, they weren't really moving the ball up the field. So I think that's what they got to do. They got to go out and get a legit number two receiver and really try to fix that offense. And you could also argue Dawson Knox isn't maybe not the answer at tight end when compared to some of the guys we've seen. They backed um, up the brink truck for him, though, so they, uh, they believe in old right. Dawson. Oh, and then man. they sometimes don't even use him enough. I don't get it. Yeah, they, they they definitely don't use their tight end the way that these other um, top teams, um, you know, lean on them, whether it's George Kittle or, of course, Travis Kelsey or even, even Goddard. Hurst and Goddard. Yeah, Knox just seems like he's not in that level of quality. So there's Josh, you know, quite okay. Let's say you put Sean McDermott and Josh Allen in Kansas City, and then you take Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes and put them in Buffalo. Does that Josh Allen-led Kansas City team win the Super Bowl this year with Sean McDermott as coach? No. Uh-uh. Probably not. No, because, I mean, I and we talked about it how many times coming down the stretch, Josh Allen was not the same, and I'm pretty sure it was because of that arm. Yeah. He looked perfectly fine the first five weeks. Hurts his arm. It gets that awkward arm injury week six, and he's just literally not the same the rest of the year. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, and Mahomes just has a better touch. It mattered. So does Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes in Buffalo with Buffalo's roster this year and the Von Miller injury, do they win a Super Bowl this year? Yeah. Uh, nah, I, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think so. I I do agree that Josh Allen wouldn't and McDermott wouldn't win one if they were in Kansas City, but I don't think that Reed and Mahomes in Buffalo this year, given this everything else being the same, I don't think that that would have been enough. Isn't to, this the Kansas City Chiefs offense that was allegedly the weakest out of any they've had in the last? However many years that mm-hmm. this has been going on, yeah, but they, they kind of the were. Weapons. They, you know, they didn't score a lot. They struggled to get by Cincinnati, and um, they, they guess they did score in the Super Bowl against a really good Eagles defense. But yeah, no, I mean, without Tyree Kill, you thought Kansas City is just not going to be as explosive. Tyree Kill opens up so many more options, and then you see him come out in um, Andy Reid or Bieniemy, whoever figured it out. To, to run the jet motion and then 
cut back hard and get yeah. those wide open touchdowns. I mean, that was amazing to see. And if you look back to week five, Jacksonville, oh, yeah, Philadelphia. They, they week four, yeah. <laughs> yeah, week four, they pulled that out. So I, I don't know if they got that from watching that tape or whatever, but, um, you know, it's funny. You're going to see a lot of teams trying to do that next year, I think, and we'll see how defenses counter it. But it's fun talking about these things because uh, who knows, but I do know that all these games were so close that to say, you know, say one guy is better than the other because they won the game when so much could have just gone the other way. So there's, it seems like some divine intervention maybe, you know, decides these things. So the history books won't remember how. They'll only remember who and what, and that's it. So that's it. That's all I got. By the way, and I, I lean Andy Reid, West Coast. It's my type of employee style, you, Hey, so. USFL is coming up. XFL <laughs> first, though. XFL first. <laughs> DC Defenders. Led by Eric Dungy. No, I'm not watching any of them. Oh, Dungy's on the Defenders? Yeah. All right, I'll watch them. So <laughs> they're, my, they're my XFL team. <laughs> yeah, FingerLakes1.com is a DC Defenders Let's organization. Go. <laughs> All right, so that will do it for this edition of Finger Lakes today. Josh and Sydney will be back on tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Until then, don't forget to check out FingerLakes1.com for the latest headlines, weather, and sports 24 hours a day. Have a great day.